Just a quick warning that today we're going to be talking about death, religion, fear, pain, lonely winds, drains, um, and you know, existentialism, of course. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, maybe just skip these next few episodes. everyone <laughs> it's us <laughs> we're here hello we're here um are we here no one really knows this is a hopeless endeavor we are a joanna newsom lyrical podcast i am sam i am nikki we're back thank you guys for being we're patient with back. us last week but do you know what we're back for sam do you know what we're back for I made sure that Sam didn't say a single word about this song to me before we started recording because I told her I want to make sure that I capture her reaction live. Um, So, Sam, what are we doing here? You will not take my heart alive. What? How are we here? What? How are we here is a big question, Nikki. Um, (laughs) How we've made it here, I think, is... um, Um, We've been trudging along through, um, trudging along happily, I would say, Um, Uh um, constantly challenged by this material. But now we find ourselves at where I consider to be, um, and you can debate this with me, but essentially the end of the album. These three songs, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, are inseparable, when I listen to these three songs, um, I listen to them as a trio. And to me, they are just the end of the album. They're inseparable. We don't listen to them. And by we, I mean me. We don't listen to them <laughs> separately. But we do. You Will Not Take My Heart Alive, A Pin Like Bent, and Time Is a Symptom. Always together. It's the end of the album. Or is it? And then we play or again. <laughs> Um, do you agree or disagree? I agree. Uh, I don't necessarily always listen to them in like a trio, but because I do listen to each of them individually sometimes, but I very much agree that this is like squarely in the like downhill racing towards the end slash new beginning of the record and yeah it it really it's like like having to cover this song on the podcast really feels like a wake-up call like in Mm -hmm. terms of announcing to us like hey guess what you don't get to cover divers for forever like this is the end which is thematically uh thematically on point because I feel like that's also a little bit what this song's role is with respect to reckoning with death, reckoning with having to come to an end. 
Uh, so yeah, it's on point. It's on point, and I did text Nikki a little bit about this when I was researching the other day because obviously I was just listening to the last three songs over and over again. <laughs> but my only text to you was like, what is happening? <laughs> yes. I don't understand. What is she ever doing? How does this exist? Like, how does she think of these things? <laughs> Dude, it's incredible. It's truly ridiculous how singular she is in her like multifaceted abilities, lyrically, musically, vocally, like philosophically. <laughs> She's so fucking good. And I think it was a good, like you said, a good wake up call that like, yes, we are nearing the end of the album, but having taken a, a teeny tiny little break and I've been listening to lots of other music and coming back to her was just like, whoa, <laughs> like, if it's not always on your mind, which it probably should be how incredible she is, like listen to these last three songs and it is a stark awakening. It is like a dip in cold water. It's a polar plunge <laughs> yes. of holy shit. Holy shit. This woman and her talents. Um, yes. Okay. So, so, so here we are. <laughs> this is where we are. Um, the song is pretty short. We're barely over four minutes. Um, and, you know, that's um, somewhat rare in her music. Um, it's only Joanna. We have her playing the harp, the piano, the Mellotron 400, the Juno 106, and her vocals. And I had to look up. We've talked about the Mellotron before. Um, I had to look up what the Juno 106 is, but it's a polyphonic synthesizer with six voices. Mm. Um, oh, wow. I know. So I was like, oh, of course it's polyphonic. Like that's, um, we've talked about how in so much of her music, she uses polyrhythms. And I was like, yeah, of course that like, that makes perfect sense that, um, she would choose something that has multiple voices to play. Yeah. I, on this topic, I didn't know when I was going to bring this up, but on the topic of multiple voices, I, so we've talked well, yeah, okay. I don't even know how to start this fucking conversation. But we've talked before about like the idea that there are several narrators throughout this album. And she had that quote somewhere where she was talking about like each – she pictures each narrator on the song sort of passing the torch along to the next narrator on the song all encircling this like one question, this one main theme. Mm -hmm. And this quote was particularly salient in my mind – this week when trying to understand this song, because I think that right from the get-go, one of the main questions that pops up for me is who the fuck is the narrator on this song and who is the you mm -hmm. on this song? Um, so uh, back to the idea that it's like multiple voices. We've talked about like the, the, the polyphony or whatever, the polyphonic uh, synth that you were referencing just made me think about this where... Um, yeah, there could be some symbolism to the idea that there's, uh, a polyphonic, uh, chorus of voices. Um, 
But then also I, it occurred to me, like, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. We might've, I feel like we've been talking about divers for long enough that I don't remember all of our speculations, but, um, what have we talked about the possibility that all of the different narrators on this song are the same soul being reincarnated, reincarnated and over and over into these different lives? I don't think so, but I think I like that idea. Yeah, I mean, I it's like an embryo of an idea. It's just uh, like a little tiny little thought I had. I have nothing else to back it up other than just that bare speculation. But it just made me think um, there were like some themes potentially of reincarnation on this song maybe. And the idea of like soul hopping, I don't know. We'll see. We'll get into it as we get into it. But it was just something that I thought I'd throw out there to you guys. And uh, maybe we could keep it in mind when we cover the last three songs. I really like that because I think that we've heard from so many different voices and not all of them are as clear as like, I mean, I think we have a soldier. I think we have the woman in waltz waiting for the soldier to come back. Um I can think of like a few distinct voices for sure. So the idea that they are like neatly wrapped into one package is like maybe too satisfying. <laughs> but I, Yeah, I like it, it totally. It might be too satisfying. Yeah. It answers this question that I didn't know that I had, but like retroactively, retrospectively, I'm going to pretend like this was a question that existed before this answer <laughs> for me. Um, where like you might ask why – if they're all different narr- narrators, why these ones in particular? Like, mm. given that there's a whole world of different people, what do all of these narrators have in common that the rest of everybody wouldn't have in common? And it could be that they're, like, united by this reincarnation vibe. There also might not need to be an answer to that question at all. It's total speculation. But I just thought of that as a potential advantage of this wackadoo interpretation. <laughs> I think the quote you were referencing, I have in my notes too, it's from a Newsweek article. And uh, The quote was, Newsom refers to her songs as being sung by a narrator, voiced by something apart from herself. Every single song is narrated by a slightly different entity on this record. She explains, they're all kind of about the same thing, but they're approaching the collection of themes from different angles. And I noticed the use of her word entity too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that gives a little little credence to your theory there because we're not saying different people, are we? Right. We're not explicitly like saying bodies, mm-hmm. different voices, entities. Different... Yeah, voices. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What is an entity? It's just like a floating, a floating thing. Something that oh, something that exists as a particular and discrete unit. Okay. <laughs> I feel like if you're using the word entity, it feels like a very, yeah, like a non-specific way of referring to something that you want to refer to. Okay. I'm putting my eggs in your basket here, Nikki. I'm on board. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. I don't know if I want to claim it as my basket yet because I don't know if I believe it. It's just a a little thought bubble I had. I'm putting some Um, non-descriptive entities in a basket (laughs) that exists, maybe. All right. So on the topic of narrator two, um, this might make more sense when we're actually like in the weeds of the lyrics, but I thought, I don't know, here, here's something that I found on it. On the topic of who is narrating this song, um, interestingly, there was some disagreement between Melissa and Rachel, both of Blessing All the Birds, of course. 
And actually that applies to this whole song. So both Melissa and Rachel had different interpretations of the song, which is always super fun for for me, but I think for us as people who have to talk about these songs, just because there's uh, like having a multitude of perspectives is helpful in just throwing some ideas out there without, you know, being committed to any of them. Um, but okay. So Melissa in the delving into divers article says this about the narrator. So she writes, I am somewhat agnostic about the, the gender of this song's narrator, but the presence of this conversation in the narrator's dreams between the body and the soul make me believe the narrator is probably a woman. She is again another female character on divers contending with the implications of death, time, and gender. So later in the podcast, I'll get more into what Melissa means by um, the feminization of uh, the, the grappling with death. Um in this song, but for now, let's leave it at that. In contrast with that, Rachel says, I don't think that there is one narrator in this song. I see, I see parts sung by body, parts sung by soul, and parts sung by the eventual transcendent being who is both and all. I also don't think the narrator at the end has a gender because they exist in a world where gender is erased along with other social constructs slash binaries. So, yeah, fascinating. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I have this article open too, and I really liked um, the different perspectives of Rachel and Melissa. I really like Rachel's idea here only because now it's um, supporting this basket of eggs that we have that maybe <laughs> um, we have uh, sorry, what did she say? Sung parts sung by body, parts sung by soul, and parts sung by the eventual transcendent being who is capitalized both and all. Mm-hmm. I think I just like the um the spaciness of that. I feel like that makes sense with with where this album has taken us so far and where where we're headed. Yes. I also love Rachel's interpretation here. I think it's just so beautiful. And like you said, it's so in keeping with the themes that we've discussed on this album, like this, this um, like obsession that the album has with the concept of binaries and sort of questioning the viability of those social concepts, questioning like the reality of those social concepts. So I think that it fits so, so nicely with what we have. And of course, I always love uh, Melissa's insights too, so I'm not um, uh, necessarily preferring Rachel's analysis over Melissa's. I just love the idea that there's this erasure of binaries that happens in this song. It's also very conveniently helps us tie up all these loose strings of narrators into like a really organized ball of string, which is like incredibly satisfying. And I don't think ne- like that it's actually as clean as that. Um, but the possibility right. of that is, is really, um, satisfying to me. Yeah. It's, it's tempting for sure. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I love the idea of the re- this song being a rejection of binaries and like I'm going to ask you in a second, like what you think the main themes of this song are, but I think maybe one of them, which a lot of people share or think is that it's a lot about the either fear of, or just like grappling with impending death. And, um, 
I love the idea that one way of coping with the knowledge that we're going to have to die is rejecting the con rejecting the idea that there's a conceptual difference between being alive and being dead mm -hmm. like th that's hilarious <laughs> yeah i don't know i think that my theory of this song has been most shaped by the very last verse or the i don't mm -hmm. know can we call it the chorus you will not take my heart alive you will not take my heart for sure, we're grappling with death. And I think my question, as I've been researching like the, researching these last few weeks, has been like, mm, are we dying? Is that, yeah. is, is that what's happening? Is that what the song ends with? I don't know. That's my big question. It's like, is this a song where our narrator is actively dying? I have a question about that too. Um, and I think that was Melissa's interpretation on Blessing All the Birds. She, I think, uh, ascribes to the position that the narrator at the end of this dies. Um, were you pointing to the last lines of the song because she doesn't say alive in that last line? That, yes. But also because as it's sung, I feel like we as listeners are – like I feel like there's an intentional – like echoey distance um, at the end of yeah. the song. So yes. it feels like we are like holding hands in space and then we let go and we're just like, you can't see me. We don't have cameras on because Zoom is being ridiculous, but like I'm floating <laughs> away from you in space very slowly. Yes. My yes. physical body is moving away and, you know, we were very – strong in our statement that you will not take my heart alive, but then maybe our dying breath is you will not take my heart, period. I don't know. No, I love that. I really do love that. And I also strikes me as very, it like strikes me as very plausible. Um, this is a ridiculous impulse to have, but I was like, as, as you were describing, as you were giving reasons to think that the narrator dies at the end of the song, I was like, yes, like this seems overwhelmingly plausible but then we have two songs that come right after so like i know so like is it the reincarnation thing that happens is it just a whole different person is this not chronological yeah. and also but then i was like wait do we have narrators dying at the end of every song and i need to go back and explore this when i'm not oh. being recorded live and you guys have to listen to my like rambling mm, stream of consciousness stream of consciousness thoughts but i was thinking that we we had something similar to say at the end of divers uh, there was like one theory we had contemplated about the narrator potentially being at her at the end of her life um, and having this sort of like super narratory perspective of her whole life. Certainly on same old man, we had a dying person or not certainly. I shouldn't ever say that. But like that is one of the main, main theories we had speculated about. And then like leaving the city, we had some death happening. So I, I just I want to go back now and revisit and just see if there's at least some interpretation of the narrator dying at the end of all of or most of these songs on Divers. Okay. I've made a note of that because okay. if that is the case, that ties so well into all of these deaths being wound into this ball of string, this giant death ball of string. And then we have this <laughs> cyclical album that repeats 
So to me, like, what a hilarious joke, right? It's like death, 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 death. Just kidding. It's a cycle. <laughs> like, I love that. That we have all these deaths, but like mm-hmm. no, none of them are permanent yeah. because at the end it just starts over. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. Not death. None of this means anything. Time is not a thing. Yeah. Listen to the album again. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, worth keeping in mind. Uh, these are totally inquit ideas, but uh, yeah, let's let's maybe just keep them in mind as we proceed. I also think that time as a symptom has death at the end. Yeah. Pain light bent. I think there's a lady falling from the sky who dies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And that's the that's the hard thing. I find it really hard to look at these albums as a whole. Um, yeah, because there is so much going on. But the question that the question that you posed is someone dying at the end of every song is some entity dying. Uh, I like it. You know what? I'm going to do some. I'm going to make a note to myself. I'll do some research next recording session. I'm going to come back to you guys with a non-answer, but a let's make a chart. <laughs> let's make it. Let's yes. make a table. How does everyone die? What do we have tables for? We have tables for. I think we have tables for every mention of heart. For sure, mm. every mention of heart and for sure, every color mentioned. I'm, oh, I, interesting. I hope that somewhere there exists. Uh, I think this is a Facebook thing. That there's like every bird that's ever mentioned. Oh, yes. I've seen that chart on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. I have that ready. Um, I also have this funny. I was just like searching because, you know, Michael Hicks doesn't have an article on this song, which is no. – um, I won't say disappointing because you do so much for us, Michael Hicks. Um, but uh, I like grounding myself in Blessing All the Birds and Michael Hicks. It makes me feel more confident in these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this funny post in the shitposting group by Florence from like 2018, which was mm-hmm. titled Bad Takes on Every Song. <laughs> and I don't think this is necessarily a bad take at all. Um, but their take on it was, you will not take my heart alive. Begins the last three songs of the album, which all feel like they could be the last song of the album. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that too. It does feel very – there's like an end endness that is like inherent to yes. the vibes of these last three songs for sure. Yes. Okay, so some overall – I tried to summarize each of Melissa and Rachel's different perspectives about – just like the theme of the song or like what this song is saying. And I just forgot that I was in the middle of doing Melissa's when I had to feed my baby. So Melissa's is only <laughs> half-baked. Um, uh, but uh, Melissa starts her article, her her little spiel on, on You Will Not Take My Heart Alive by pointing to the fact that Joanna has spoken before, both in interviews and in other work, um, about how she believes that Love is something which makes us immortal. So Melissa cites the Paste interview in 2006, where she said, not to be too corny, but kindness and love is essentially the only real immortality. And so uh, Melissa goes on to develop the theme throughout her 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 writing on this, that uh, the narrator narrator is going through this existential dread that like, the fear of death is looming and it threatens to take away everything from her, to erase all of her existence and everything that she's done throughout her life uh, 
and it's like this really scary, threatening thing, but that the narrator finds solace in the idea that it is through love and kindness and um, like relationships that she will actually survive death, that her heart will survive death. Okay, so that is my take at least on Melissa's interpretation of the song. Yeah, I love that. I love that as um, kind of one of the bigger themes of the album too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know she's mentioned it in interviews and I know that's not the whole story, but just like what a beautiful idea. What like a, a like with all the death and destruction of this album, like what a sweet mm-hmm sweet thing to take away and carry with you. It's such a sweet message and it really does bring me solace in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I, I, it feels like the arrival of you will not take my heart alive in our, in our exploring of Joanna's work, Sam, could not have come at a better time for me. I don't know. This week I've been so like independently of the um song analysis i've been so like existentially mired in the idea that i'm going to die it's just been such a like prominent part of my thinking i don't know i just like have been freaked out about it this week for some reason more so than normal i am normally pretty base level freaked out about it but but this week it's just been like really salient to me i was just like oh my fucking god how do we all go on with this knowledge that it's all going to be Everybody that we know and love and care for is all going to die and you're going to die. And just like how, how unbelievably, unspeakably tragic. And I'm not always in that mind space, but often I am quite freaked out about it. And so just trying to figure out this song has been like a form of therapy for me, I think, in that respect this week, because it really does. I don't know. There is something really nice about the idea that kindness and love our kindness and love and the interactions that we have with people and the impact that we can have on people, even if just in small ways, is something that survives us after death. And it is, I think, a very comforting idea that if you can do nothing else, you can be kind. Like if that's yeah. if that's all you can do, if that's all that remains, that's pretty good. It's pretty good and it like weirdly, it somehow gives more meaning, I think, to, I don't know, for me at least, to our lives now. If it's true that like kindness and love are the things that survive uh, our deaths, that our kindness and love are the things that survive our deaths, then we know that like that's the most meaningful thing we can do while we're alive. So it just like, I don't know, it just like suffuses meaning where it might have been lacking before. I don't know. Maybe that's overly simplistic. It probably is, but I don't know. I think it's a nice perspective too. Like, I think it kind of prioritizes what what you sh- I shouldn't say should what you could be doing. Yeah. Right. Like asking yourself, is this the kindest choice? Is just like a really beautiful way to to move along the weird line of time. Yes, exactly. And it like 
it gives this intentionality where intentionality was lacking before or like purpose even, even though that's like, I don't like that word. But instead of like scrubbing the kitchen counters grumpily and like focusing on how I, how it's such a Sisyphean task and how it's just going to be fucking dirty the next day and this is all endless and it's so annoying to have to do. You can just focus on like, yeah, but it's like for the sake of like whatever, like living harmoniously being kind to myself being kind to my partner being kind to my child like whatever like I don't know it just like gives you this framework to I don't know gear your actions towards or something you know or like to 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 shape the way that even mundane actions are done I don't know could be making shit up yeah And I think it makes me feel better in terms of like uh, the other choices that you make. Like, okay, even though this didn't work out, at least I'm doing this. Like at least (laughs) the other choices are kind and loving and intentional and or as intentional as they can be. Um, Yes, totally. Yeah. As like as a – grand theory for this album. It brings me great comfort. Um, even though we are facing a lot of other heavy shit, really, really heavy shit. Um, the, the heaviness that surrounds like our trying to live a life that isn't totally bogged down by that heaviness I think is, yeah, a theme throughout this album, but also like a theme throughout her work. So mm-hmm. like the, the when I was going through my existential dread this week, a uh, line from Only Skin that kept coming up for me was just that life is thundering blissful towards death and that we're all like fucking like you watch Netflix shows and we like go on our little walks and like pet animals, like all in this like without generally – um, referencing within our own minds or to each other that like, God, it's all going to end. And I don't know, whatever, I'm not going to get into this again, but like, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> there's heaviness all around. And, uh, yeah. So I think the heaviness is very much something that we need to grapple with in the album as well as in life. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's unavoidable, right? Like, um, facing those, those heavier, darker decisions and days is inevitable when it is just thundering blissful towards death. And I love that, like, that that thought, the thundering blissful towards death, and that the quote in the interview from Pace that Melissa had referenced, as early as 2006, and probably sooner than that, Joanna was already talking about this, like, what you could argue is a central thesis of divers that like kindness and love are ways of being immortal. Like that's such a specific way of framing that thought. Yeah. And that the the way that it's expressed, the way that that nugget of thought is expressed blows my mind. Like, okay, you have this somewhat simple central thesis that kindness and love is the only thing that's immortal. And that the end result of that is divers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Okay. Okay, Nikki. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. That maybe that we have so I'm trying to bring our eggs back in here. That we yeah. have so many narrators. Are we are, is she saying that kindness and love can be expressed in this myriad of ways and like Um, something about it looping back all together and repeating anyway. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's the, the the absolutely terrifying thing, but also maybe comforting thing about the heaviness of dread looming over all of us is that it looms over all of us, is that it's like this universal experience. And so that it might wrap back around, um, I don't know, it might speak to how it's cyclical and not this individual experience, but very much a collective thing that like, humans need to grapple with. Mm -hmm. So I, the, in not in contrast, I shouldn't, I don't want to say it like that, but um, like as a different perspective on the themes of this song, Rachel, Rachel's analysis is, this is my paraphrasing of it, but she thinks that instead of it being a comment on how like love and kindness are the ways of being immortal, Rachel thinks that instead it's a conversation between the body and the soul who are falsely pitted against each other as binaries, as are life and death, man and woman, sea and sky, past and present, and that this song erases binaries. So uh, in a quote from her, she writes, the end of this song is not about the soul transcending the body and achieving the ultimate separation. The body and the soul come together in this song in a form that has visited the narrator constantly in dreams. They rise to take a new form in a new plane, where one, one where the division between body and soul no longer exists. Binaries are erased. The narrator vows to never return to the binary world where the lonely wind abides. In doing so, they are banishing the notion of a binary universe altogether. The end of the song is not only a death, but also a birth. It is both because in this new universe, there is no separation between the two. Cool, 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 cool. Yes. That's also just a really beautiful tying together of all those strings that, okay, we have all of these, these really, I think, bleh, I take that back, maybe, <laughs> I don't know what I think. Hmm. <laughs> we probably have all of these really clearly defined binaries. I mean, we have a list of them, right? Like that was yeah. one of the first things we did in this album was like, okay, what are these uh, binaries that we are going to be pushing and pulling throughout this album. Yeah. I love Rachel's idea because it's like, bloop, okay, M maybe it's none of these at all. Maybe it yeah. is taking these things that we've put so much stock in and taking away all of that power in the end. Totally. And, and bringing to the forefront of our minds that like, these social constructs, these binaries are such an illusion that, and like we've talked about like fuckery in perception as being a theme in this album too. Yeah. And so the idea that like we were just wrong about these things that we thought were clear binaries of each other, that like when you are ridded of the distorting lens of like being in it, being alive and being, having to live day by day when you're, when that is taken away and the distortion is gone, then there is more, it becomes clear that these binaries don't exist. And I think that that feeds so fucking nicely into the themes of a pin light bent 
uh, in the next song, which we'll get into, and I've alluded to my theory about that several times, that it's just, it's a statement on how we are this collective consciousness, not to sound too ridiculous, but more than we're given credit for. We take ourselves to be individuals, but that itself is an illusion as well. And so I love the idea that this song could end with the erasing of the binaries that feeds into a pin, a pin light bend. Yeah. It's a very satisfying theory. Yeah. <sighs> okay. This okay, is okay. also the only time. So the way that I approach these songs is very much one at a time. I make a Google Doc. I put the lyrics in. I gather all the sources and put them at the top. And then I work through and try and tie everything together. That's very much my method for these songs. This mm-hmm. is the only time in the history of this little endeavor that I have more than one doc going at the same time. Oh, why? Because I can't separate these three songs. And I also threw Make Hay Hay in there because as I was listening to them, I was hearing things that I was like, oh shit, like I need, I can't just think about this in terms of, um, what what song are we talking about? You will not take my heart alive. I have to (laughs) think about like a pin like bent or I have to think about um even make hay like do you know that Michael Hicks has three articles on make hay I do not know that I'm so excited I am so excited for that song I love that fucking song it seems like it's pretty universally loved yeah yeah I agree I think that at least all the takes that I've heard about it have been very positive ones mm-hmm yeah, which makes me wonder why. Why is it not on the album? I think she said before that it's, I mean, we'll get into this when we talk about it, but I think she said somewhere before that it's not on the album because she had said all that she wanted to say in the mm-hmm. other songs and that this sure. would be too, like, redundant in a way. So, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's maybe worth noting just at the outset, too, that this song could be thematically related to another song on the album besides the last three. So as Melissa points out in the Blessing All the Birds Chiasmus series, um, that You Will Not Take My Heart Alive is um, like associated with um, leaving the city. So that's like where it falls in terms of where it falls on the album, where like the first and the last song relate to each other, the penultimate song and the second song relate to each other. This song relates to leaving the city. Mm -hmm. I Uh, I love the series that Melissa has done. I read this one yesterday too. Super cool. Okay. Do we get into the lyrics? I guess we better. I guess we better just dive right in. Um, Okay, let's start with, I just, so in the same um, Newsweek article where she talks about the narrators being slightly different entities, um, there's also this just like intro bit here. Um, Again, this is a Newsweek article from 2015. Um, Press materials promised an album of sci-fi sea shanties and cavalier ballads. The nautical theme is clear. There's an oceanic album cover and a title track about a pearl hunting romance with eerie harp arpeggios to capture the sense of drifting underwater. But it's not the ocean that fascinates the songwriter. It's the line separating sea and sky, she says. 
Newsom often talks about her work in airy abstract, abstract terms. I think most of the songs that take place on the ocean are very concerned with that line. The moody, You Will Not Take My Heart Alive, for instance, opens with an image of the line of the sea seceding the coast. Newsom has long puzzled over borders of both love and geography and how they might be traversed. And then they compare it to in California. Um, you cross the border of my heart. So do you want to read our first verse here? Nikki? Do I? Okay. Oh, before I do, one more thing. I'll just note that uh, I don't think I said this already, but Melissa notes in her article that this is uh, – according to Joanna, the first song off of Divers that she wrote. Really? Yeah, which I think is super interesting. I don't know. You can gather a, a whole bunch of the themes that happen on this on the album in this one song. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, super cool. Like it's so interesting for me to think of like her – Doing have one have one on me, stepping away from that, and then the next thing that she does, as far as we know, is you will not take my heart alive. Like interesting. Okay, that kind of blows <clears throat> my mind. That's a great fact. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, okay, should I should I read the first verse? Okay, let's okay. do it. All right. Um, so she starts. Another song that starts with and as the first word. Very interesting. That's my first note, starting with the conjunction. Same okay. as only skin. <laughs> I didn't even notice that until fucking right now. Yeah. What am I doing? All right. All right. Here I actually go. And what do you remember most? The line of the sea seceding the coast? Fine capillaries glowing with cars? The comfort you drew from the light of the stars? And all of those lines have question marks at the end. Good point. Yes. Okay. All right, so conjunction. What does that mean? Uh, great question. <laughs> I think when we were, and I'm not going to look at my notes because we're going to be too scrambly, but I th yeah. think what we said about only skin was that it felt like we were stepping into something that was already happening. Yes. Um, that it didn't seem like the beginning of something that right. we already had like one foot in the door or something like that. Yeah. Totally. It's like we get this – it's like we walked in on a conversation. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder what comes before. I also wonder who is the you and who is the speaker? <laughs> These are always questions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I actually did look up my only skin notes. Uh, I have a note about in medias res, in the middle or in the midst of things. Mm. which I don't remember talking about. Um, it's a narrative idea, opens in the middle of the plot. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. All right. That seems like it's happening here. Yeah, I'm on the Wikipedia for in medias res. And yeah. it says, like, often exposition is bypassed and filled in gradually through dialogue, flashbacks, or description of past events. Mm -hmm. It starts out with, like, almost as a puzzle. Okay. Great. <laughs> great great start um if uh, here's one thing that i noticed about this opening verse is that if rachel's analysis is correct that there's this erasing of binaries throughout this song there is sort of the visual representation of that in the line the line of the sea seceding the coast 
So we have like this visual of like the withdrawing of tides sort of receding and the coast line expanding or sort of maybe like blurring with the sea mm. maybe i'm yep. not sure yep i think that we those lines a... those lines are changing right yes yeah so exactly these board Ooh, that's cool nikki i didn't think of that so like we have been defining and i don't remember what song we talked about it so clearly in but it's where we're running along the beach and we were like, okay, this is obviously like a very, I don't think we said obviously, but this is like <laughs> a division here, right? We have men on yeah. the water. We have women on land. This like beachy coast is like where they mingle. This is like, this yeah. is like the place where we can, we can hang out safely. We both can be here. Yeah. Sounds like divers to me. S sounds like divers, but... If those borders are constantly changing, what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Are they real? Are, are, they, are they real? They, yeah. They're shifty for sure. They're shifty. Mm -hmm. They're shifty and I don't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly though. They're not trustworthy. Like just as our perception isn't trustworthy. Man. <laughs> It's hard because we don't have our cameras on. I know. It's so weird to not see your face during this. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, so they're shifty. We don't trust them. I also wondered, what does most mean in this context? So our first line is, and what do you remember most? What is is most? Like, what is, what is, what is in your, on your, on your deathbed? What is the most valuable memory to you? Is it like, um, what is just the most recent memory to you? It is like, who did you love? What yeah. was your biggest accomplishment? What is your favorite memory? Um, who is your favorite person? Like, what, is, what does most mean? Yeah, right. What, how are we quantifying most here? Yeah, that's a good question that I don't know the answer to. Maybe on one interpretation – and like, I don't fucking know, but like, what do you remember most? The line of the sea seceding the coast, that being like a candidate, all these being candidates for the things that the narrator might have remembered most all seem like they could be interpreted as things that would happen upon one's death, especially because as in the next verse we'll talk about, I think that there might be some allusion to an upward movement upon someone's death moving from the land into the mm -hmm. sky mm -hmm. and so all of these things might be interpreted as if you picture what the earth would look like if you're like moving up 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 into the sky then like the line of the sea seceding the coast seceding by the way I had to look up but just means like with withdrawing from the coast and so like that border becoming more blurry as you get higher up into the sky, fine capillaries growing, glowing with cars, like the idea that there are these itty bitty tiny little roads that have a bunch of little cars on them, but they're far away. And then like the comfort you drew from the light of the stars because you're maybe getting closer and closer to the, the light and to the stars. I don't know. On that interpretation, you might think that what do you remember most is like in the process of dying, what stood out to you most of that process? 
But as you said, it could also be like, what do you remember most from your living? Okay. And if if this is some upward movement and we're we're seeing all these things from above, to me, I think it's also like it's it's a it's a perspective of our life, right? So is it it's as we're zooping up into heaven space, otherworldliness, is what is it that we remember? Is it these stark contrasted binaries? Is it like this division between bodies and I don't know, fine capillaries glowing with cars? Is it like this like physical, non-physical binary? Is it like um, the like relationship you had with people or with the earth? Like, I feel like, like maybe it's a few options. We're checking a few boxes as we right. up. As we zoop up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it's worth keeping in mind because it's not at all clear what's happening here. Another thought I have capillaries here. Yes, that's exactly what I was just going to bring up is that it's so interesting to me that she uses the word capillaries because that's the definition of capillaries is like veins, basically, right? Like tiny little veins that that is this not in baby birch, too. Well, the glowing with cars thing, I saw someone relate to baby birch. Do you remember staring up at the stars so far away in their bulletproof cars? I feel like that's the same vibe. Yeah. Someone makes that point on JoannaNewsomeLyrics.com. They say, oh no, they just quote the two verses that they're comparing Claire on Claire on Joanna Newsome Lyrics. But exactly, like gives the same vibe of maybe like getting comfort from the stars and describing stars as like distinct car-like entities. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, capillaries, it's such a an alive word mm-hmm. to use to describe this presumably unalive highway or like roads or something. But maybe that's the point is that it's not actually unalive. It's like this whole, maybe she's like giving life to the collective, mm-hmm. the collectiveness of being human and alive and like having functioning cities and communities. Uh, I, I'm not totally sure. Also, just like we're talking about the heart a lot here. Mm-hmm. So like how can we tie that into capillaries as well? Ah, right. Right. I don't know. I don't know, but that's a good point though that it's like um, a flowing blood. thing blood <laughs> yeah blood the, the aliveness of blood yeah that it's literally alive it's a yeah. it's a structure that without it we die yeah right very much a sign of life blood it's like a being alive thing mm-hmm. oh god okay uh so there's so there's that, that. <laughs> oh yeah also i'd seen someone mention somewhere uh and i also get this vibe that it's also very similar to a pin light bent in it's when a pin light bent when in a pin light bent she describes um from that height was a honeycomb Mm -hmm. just one of Uh, my very favorite lines of all time can't Isn't wait. it so oh, beautiful? My God. Oh my God. So like intersected, each enclosed, and, and electric, electric and alone. alone. So good. But very much the same vibe of like, wow, you're seeing this like 
in maybe death and maybe just uh, detachment from life on earth by like going up and having a, a perspective from the sky, you see things in a way that you didn't before. You see things as like systems functioning together or you see like our little honeycombs where we're all like, we all think that we're distinct entities, but together we form this oneness that was hard to see while you were in it on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, I like that idea. I do. It's a nice perspective, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All right. Is that verse one? Yeah. Um, in Melissa's, uh, I always, I always am scared I'm going to say this word on chiasmus, chiasmus, chiasmus. I think chiasmus, yeah. Melissa says in the comparison to leaving the city or the like connection to, um, when we arrive to you will, you won't, you will not take my heart alive. Uh, the narrator seemingly talking to her own soul takes on a bird's eye view of nature and civilization, the line of the sea, the capillaries growing with cars, um, the same view in a pen light bent through which another character who dies sees. The narrator sees the path that allows us to transition from one land, one desire, one life to the next. Um, here, compared to leaving the city, the narrator is not looking at what lies ahead almost laterally, but what has already happened. Yeah, I love Melissa's take on that. Okay, before we move on, I actually forgot that I looked up just some stuff on the symbolism of tides, just because if we have... Mm. The line of the sea seceding the coast, withdrawing from the co coast. That's maybe this um, nice visual visual way of describing um, tides, the rise and fall of tides. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to find the name of this article, but I can't, so it's fine. I'm just going to not cite it here, but I'll try to link to it. Oh, no, here it is. Um, it is on the website called Literary Hub, and it the the name of the article, the title of the article is On the Irresistible Pull of Tidal Metaphors, and it is written by Hugh Aldersey Williams. And in it, he writes that the tide introduces vertical movement of the sea, and it is surely significant that we naturally tend to speak of moods and emotions that govern our moral behavior in terms of high and low. So in this, the tide joins many natural metaphors used to describe high and low mood. High tide represents hope and opportunity. Uh, so he gives some examples. And then low tide stands for the loss of these things. And then he gives some more examples. He continues. This vertical movement, unlike that of the poet's skylark or the burrowing, burrowing mole, say, also occurs within a certain range, within what one might in fact be tempted to call an appointed range. It's high and low limits apparently set by some godlike power. Um, this aspect of the tide is reflected in our adjective tidy, which derives from the Middle English tide and first meant seasonable, hence later neat, as of something in its place. Mm. Um so I thought that that was interesting in the context of like, look, this water moves up and down uh, within this like limited boundary, um, which makes me think of borders again, just like these sort of um, these perceived borders that we have. And like it brings to mind the leaving the city uh, line of what we are allowed. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, the concept of like moving within the boundaries that are defined for us already. 
And then I like the idea too that if high tide represents like hope and opportunity and low, t- low tide represents the lack of those things, that Joanna is squarely placing us here in, uh, is squarely placing the narrator here in a situation where there's a low tide, right? The line of the sea is seceding the coast. It's withdrawing from the coast. And so we're maybe at a, at a mood that is hopeless and without opportunity, maybe. Yeah, I love that interpretation so much. Oh, yeah. And I also feel like it gives some credence to the theory that we're we're dying. We're dying. We are without opportunity. Yeah. And like another cool thing about tides is that they're also super cyclical. And so there's the rising and falling, but mm-hmm. then it's inevitably followed by another rising and falling. Yeah, I don't know. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. So this is a little off the cuff, but I was Mm. thinking about the light of, I was Googling the light of the stars. We have a lovely little poem here Mm. called The Light of Stars. (laughs) And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I just like it a little bit. So they say, The night is come, but not too soon, and sinking silently, all silently, the little moon drops down behind the sky. There is no light in earth or heaven, but the cold light of stars, and the first watch of night is given to the red planet Mars. Is it the tender star of love, the star of love and dreams? Oh no, from that blue tent above, a hero's armor gleams. Within my breast, I'm just paraphrasing now, within my breast there is no light, but the cold light of stars. I give the first watch of the night to the red planet Mars. Just like a really pretty, maybe deathy connection. It makes me wonder if she's read that poem. I'm sure she has. Yeah, it gives me deathy vibes too. And it, Mm -hmm. that, I know nothing about this poem, but from what you read, it makes me think of like, the taking magic out of the concepts of like heaven and earth and like spirit and soul and placing it squarely mm-hmm. in nature. The idea too that the um, the person who the narrator is addressing here n- draws comfort from the light of the stars implies that like they needed to draw comfort from somewhere, like that they were in a sort of suffering kind of state. And so it mm-hmm. it positions us right at the beginning of the song as wondering like what what's wrong? Yes. Why yeah. why do you need the comfort? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I like that that poem uh describes the stars as being cold too. Um, yeah. Only because I I don't I mean I think maybe that's obvious but I wasn't I was thinking of like the light as them as more of like a glowy warm thing. But if yeah. in fact what we're trying to get comfort from is this like cold, distant thing, what does that mean for how awful we're feeling down on totally. earth? Totally. And like how uncaring the the stars are. You know, they're cold. They're not Oh, exactly. Like yeah. Ambivalent to your pain. They are a thousand percent ambivalent to your pain and can be no other way. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that is it for part one on You Will Not Take My Heart Alive. We are so grateful that you guys are joining us in this very exciting, thundering, blissful towards the end of the album. Um, 
So we have a Patreon you should check out. It is patreon.com slash a hopeless endeavor. It is linked in the show notes there. We have early episode releases as well as some bonus episodes, including a little start to our initial impression series of the new songs. So if you want to check that out, go there. I, I haven't mm-hmm. asked you, Sam, about this yet, but did you next recording session, are you interested in doing another one of the songs from the new, the new, the new ones? Sure. Why not? Let's do it. Okay, cool. So we'll, we'll continue our little series on that. Uh, on Patreon. You can also email us. We are so curious to hear what you guys all think about these last three songs on Divers. Uh, don't hesitate to share your voice memos, thoughts, theories, whatever. Um, we need your help, us. guys. Please help. Totally do. Yeah. We're we absolutely all alone need your help. on this ice yeah. rung ladder. In the lonely wind. It's cold. Help us, please. Yeah. Come on. Uh, our email is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com we have a facebook group it's a hopeless endeavor a joanna newsome podcast sam does such a fucking good job at choosing the visual visuals and providing all these cool high-tech links on instagram <laughs> <laughs> at oh uh a hopeless endeavor podcast there we go um you can send me us uh, DMs there. I love getting those. Those are really fun. Um, and also do not forget that Nikki edits and puts out all of these episodes and she herself is also an incredible tech machine. So thank oh. you, Nikki, for that. Well, thank you for the compliment. But uh, unfortunately, my knowledge of tech is limited to the like two commands that I need to know for the edit, the editing, edit, oh my God, editing of this podcast. Also, yes. It's worth noting we've had complaints about the editing of the podcast, but no complaints was, about the visuals. There so. was one complaint, so let's not <laughs> give too much credence for that. And you know what? We do what we can. We, do we are we can. just people on this earth trying our best. Sometimes you'll get lots of ums and ahs because that's who We're we humans. are as people. That's right. We're figuring it out together. That's so. right. I love your full-throated support of that, Sam. I agree. <laughs> All right. We will see you guys next week for part two of You Will Not Take My Heart Alive. And see you later, folks. Thank you, guys. Bye.